If you believe your spark's been extinguished, you won't succeed in what you must finish when all is lost. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 67. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Uh, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. We have a fantastic show lined up today. First, we'll be speaking with director Michael Panduro on his film Postpartum, which is our Kickstart Sunday project of the week. Then we'll be speaking with Bill and Kevin of the bluegrass duo Future Folk and talk about their new movie, The History of Future Folk, which is hitting theaters and video on demand soon. Then we'll have Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad on the show for a feature review of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek Into Darkness. Of course, we'll also be talking about some of what we've been watching. We'll do uh, some DVD and Blu-ray releases and predictions. First up, let's talk to Michael Pandura about Postpartum, which is currently being funded on Indiegogo. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Now, this is your first feature film. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the differences between uh, working on a feature film and then working on a music video, which is what you're normally used to. Of course, it's it's a way bigger project than than anything I've I've done before. Um, Still, the good thing to take away from from the music videos is that music videos is is like it's a creative playground. You know, you, you can you can do so much uh, and you can get away with so much in music videos. So you can try out all sorts of different things. And one one of the great things about having done music videos in in a number of years is now that that I have a team, uh, a crew that I that I totally trust and and that that. We've done so many weird things together now that that going into a project like this, the the just just the the trust and 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 the the the, the knowledge of who who thinks in in what way is extremely helpful uh, in, in a project like this for us right now. So the film is called Postpartum, and yeah. maybe you can tell us a little bit about what this film is and what it's going to be tackling. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're, we're trying not to give away too much of the plot, but 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 of course there is one. Um, this this film is 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 kind of like an an experiment to 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 tackle uh, a theme that I consider taboo even in the Western world: uh, the fact that having children isn't necessarily all good. You know, there there's. There, there's of course so many great aspects about becoming a parent, but there are also negative consequences to 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 getting children. It 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 it, it has such an impact on your on your life, on all, all different spheres of your life. And I'm trying here. the The idea for the project was to 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 take this fact and just acknowledge it. You know, start by acknowledging the fact that there are negative aspects to having children, and then. The experiment is to 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 just magnify those completely out of proportion. Just just blow every negative thing I could think about having children. Throw that completely out of proportion, and then just ignore all the positives <laughs> and see where where that went. Um, so so it's it's a film that basically takes the idea that that children and particularly infants are, if you boil it down, they're parasites. Uh, they, they they latch on to a mother and then they fucking suck her dry. <laughs> uh, 
and and that's the that's the basic concept, and 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 we're taking that very very literally. Uh, I can say that much. Hmm. Okay, and this is going to be a horror film, obviously. And in in your campaign, you've kind of compared it with uh, some early Cronenberg or even von Trier's Antichrist. And it it really sounds like you are kind of capturing that like uh, bodily kind of horror. And even in the campaign video, it it creeped me out big time. Awesome. Um, maybe maybe you can. Can you tell us how the campaign video compares to the movie? Is that footage from the movie, or where does that fit into place? Uh, it's a scene from the film. Uh, it's 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 a scene that's in the script that just got twitched a bit for 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 it, it got the ending. The, the The spider thing isn't in that scene. It was in in the in the script. Um, so it's 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 something that. It started for us. We wanted to do the scene because we wanted to show it to investors. We wanted it to, to to you know be part of a sales package, and give an idea of what kind of film we wanted to do, uh, both in terms of of pacing and and the visuals and the fact that this is a script that has very little dialogue. Um, we wanted to use it like, like that, and then once we decided to 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 try raising some funds of us of our own. We we thought it would make total sense to use it as a teaser. Um, so it's 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 basically it's it's a scene from the film, but with an ending, so it works as like a a short mm. teaser. Um, but but in regards to to the entire bodily thing and the Cronenberg thing and all that, that that's that that comes out of the fact that I'm a huge Cronenberg fan, uh, especially the the old stuff. Uh, and and that is definitely the kind of thing we're we're going for you know like like the fact that the brood for instance is is a is a very simple story about a breakup a couple breaking up uh in the same way this is a very simple story about a couple having ch- having a child mm-hmm. uh but but we're taking it to the same sort of extremes uh that that's why i make the comparison the the antichrist comparison isn't isn't mine that's what everybody who reads it tell me uh, I'm not a big fan of that film, to be perfectly honest. Ooh. I thought it was okay, but um, did he eat the spider? I have to know. <laughs> he didn't swallow. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but he, he put it in his, mouth, in his mouth, and we did like eight or ten takes of that. Wow, so you didn't even get the protein from it. <laughs> no, we didn't. We, so, had, we had several spiders, so we could have done it. So you used several spiders in that scene? No, no, we had some. We had backups in case he swallowed or in case they ran off. In case they died. No, 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 no. <laughs> we don't want to kill them. Yeah, uh, that is one thing I wanted to mention. I like how you put that disclaimer right at the beginning of the video that no animals were harmed during this. Because it looks very real. It, 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 the, the, the deer is real, uh, but it was dead. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 a deal that it was ran, run over somewhere. Uh, it was roadkill. Oh, okay. So we just borrowed it. Is the is the main character in the campaign video? Is he the main character of the film? Yes, he is. Okay. Uh, he's a a young, uh, recently educated uh, Danish actor called Christian, who's uh, in in my opinion we've we've made a major scoop here. Uh, this guy is just starting to work in films now, and he's already getting 
offers in films that are way bigger than this one. Uh, he, he's going to have his uh, his first supporting role is is in the new uh, Von Trier film actually, uh, *Nymphomaniac*. Oh, okay. Uh, which will be out in December, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, where he's you know he's fucking playing opposite people like Willem Dafoe and and mm -hmm. I don't know everybody everybody's a star in that film. Shia LaBeouf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that's going to be his debut, and this is his first starring role. But, but uh, I, I think I think Christian is going to go a, a very long way. That's great. He, he's an awesome dude and great to work with. Now, I want to talk about uh, how you're funding this. So, you uh, currently there's an Indiegogo campaign, and you're looking to raise uh, twenty grand in this campaign. And in in the the campaign notes, you said that um, because of the subject matter this would be a hard film to get financed in Denmark. Is yeah. that is that something that's commonplace over there? It, it is, because we have, we, we don't have, you know, the, the Danish film industry is very different than the, than the American one. Uh, we have, you know, um, public funding from, from like a film institute, which is, in, in, in many people's view, it's, it's the only proper way to make a film is that you go through the institute and you go through the, the, the advisors there. And, and that means that, that there's a very specific way that films are made and financed. There's not many private funders. The, 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 the production houses don't have big funds. And, and the market is small, you know. Denmark is a small country, so... so, so the institute and, and finances tend to 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 go with the safe bet, to 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 go for big you know uh, big films with 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 wide appeal. Mm -hmm. uh, so so going into something like this and going into it as a first time feature director uh, who hasn't worked you know I've made a lot of music videos but most of them have have been for American and Canadian bands. So so I'm not you know a name in in the music video business here. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so most people who, who normally when you go to the institute, you come with e either you have a, a you know an education from the from the the, the the royal film school or or you come in through commercials or stuff like that. But having worked the way I've worked in a long time, it it, it means that a lot of people have seen my work. I think, but um, not many of those people live in Denmark. Right. So, so I don't have too much going for the project in, in terms of my experience and all that. When when I talk to the the you know the the, the classic institutes of, of financing films here. Um, so what what we're trying to do with with the Indiegogo thing now is first of all it's it's to get you know some sort of starting uh, funds. You know we 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 the, the the twenty grand that we've put up is is what it would cost us to to rent the equipment that we we want to 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 use to make this film so that would basically put us in the position where we are able to make the film uh, and everything beyond that you know all other expenses and and, and uh, uh, what do you call paychecks for people who need to get paid some people need to get paid um, all of that would would come on top of that but but having the funds to rent the equipment ourselves would put us in a in a way better position in regarding financiers and and the film institute and and things like that because we can we can show that there are people who are interested in this film and we've actually been able to 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 raise you know a part of the funds ourselves so so it's 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 funds that would 
put us in a situation where we can make the film, and we and we are very used to to being very rock and roll when we when we make films, and 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 you know going into it head on, and and use find a lot of DIY solutions. But it's also leverage for us uh, in order to 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 raise more funds mm -hmm. for the project. So Does that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. There's a lot of filmmakers that do that um, with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, where they get their starting funds going and then later either have another campaign or that gives them the opportunity to get some investors to show that there is interest in the film and that type of thing. So I think that that's a fairly common practice nowadays. Yeah, I think so too. Um, let's talk about some of the perks. Uh, mm -hmm. So what, what can people look forward to as far mm -hmm. as uh, different incentives to, to donate to the project? Mm. Well, we, we, we have, of course, you know, we have, the classics we have, you know, a, a, a download of the finished film, a DVD or T-shirts, stickers, all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, these T-shirts are going to be cool, I know. Um, but of kind of special things, we have um, we have a mixtape. We have a, a, a music sampler uh, made out of uh, bands that, that we've worked with before. Um, one of the producers on the film, Casper, uh, he's also a music video director. And and most of us, most most of the bands that we've worked with have have agreed to to put uh, music on this thing, and and we're looking for. There's going to be a bunch of rare and and unreleased stuff on there, um, and that's that's our incentive to to the metal music community, who 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 are the who is the community we've been making videos for. So there's there's a lot of cool bands on there, and mm. and a lot of interesting stuff is going to be on there. That's that's a, a a pretty cool perk if you ask me. And it's only fifteen dollars too. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, aside from that, we have the uh, we we said that we could put people's photo in the film because most of this film takes place in in like an, an old abandoned house, and there's going to be family photos all over. So 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 we want people to get their faces in the film. Um, and then we've, uh, you know, we, we we didn't want to go with all the you can get all signed stuff, and and you you can get to you can get a personalized you know greeting card or, or anything because we realized the fact that we're not celebrities and that's not going to be interesting to anybody. But but we know that that Casper and myself are actually very good at doing music videos. We're quite quite sure we are. So we've put that as a perk as well uh, as one of the more expensive ones that that that. If you're in a band, we do a music video for your band. Yeah, I think that that's really cool. Mm. So with that yeah, one, you'll actually direct the music video for someone. Yeah, Damn. we would. That's, that's very cool. Thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Again, the film Postpartum on Indiegogo. Check it out. Yes, it will be made. <laughs> thanks again michael again the film is postpartum be sure to donate to the indiegogo campaign we'll have a link in show notes as well as on the kickstart sunday section of filmpulse.net next up let's have a chat with bill and kevin who are actually aliens from a planet called hondo and happen to have a bluegrass band called future folk they recently made a film which retells the story of how they saved earth from complete annihilation that film is called The History of Future Folk. Let's jump into this. Let's see, where to start, where to start. I'm looking at my list of... I have a million questions for you guys. Great. Yeah, uh, 
I guess the first question I have is for Bill. Yeah. Uh, when deciding what type of earth music to play, what made what made you gravitate towards bluegrass? Um, I couldn't afford a drum machine, so that automatically meant that certain certain forms of hip hop and house music uh, were out. Um, <laughs> there's also a you know a, 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 a bluegrass is essentially a storytelling. Uh, genre the songs all sort of spin a yarn so since what you know coming from hondo we had a lot of stories that we to, to, to share with earthlings so that seemed like the right vehicle for us to uh sort of impart our hondonian experience through this new and unique me- <coughs> medium oh, okay. of music storytelling music storytelling music exactly mm-hmm. also the banjo just sounds cool sounds right cool. of course we're bringing the banjo back <laughs> never knew it left we're bringing Twangy back. Yeah. <laughs> We're giving Twangy its groove back. It's going to be great. Nice. Now, uh, in the film, Kevin, this is for you. We see how you, you, know, you react for hearing music for the first time. I was wondering if you could uh, describe that feeling once again of hearing music for the first time because you seem to freak out there. It's sort of like becoming one with the universe in a single moment but all moments. <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's probably pretty clear, so I'll just stop. <laughs> it, it was really amazing and, and inspirational and um, opened my eyes to the, the second world I had never seen before. The first one being Earth, the second being music. Okay. So, uh, with your planet, is there no music on there, or is there music and it just sucks? No music. Sad. No, no music, music at all. That's yeah, okay. terrible. It just didn't occur to us. Yeah. Wow. There, there are sounds. Obviously, we communicate orally. Uh, so, you know, there are sounds, but just never collected in that, in that way um, that, you know, that essentially defines what Earthlings call music. However, since then, right. uh, you know, since, since the exploits that, um, that we saw in the movie, we saved Earth, you're welcome, uh, and Hondo. <laughs> um, Kevin actually went back to Hondo for his, his honeymoon. I did, yep. Uh, Carmen and I honeymooned on Hondo at the Red Lava Seas. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, had a really nice week on the, on the beach there. Yeah. And, you brought, and, you, and you brought music back with you. I did. I, I just plugged in a couple of giant speakers on my spaceship, cruised right up, just jamming some future folk tunes, and then I showed them a whole new world. Okay, wow. so, they do, so they now have music in <laughs> Hondo. By now, like, what is it, about a year and a half yeah. later yeah. or so, yeah. everybody on Hondo plays at least five instruments. Wow. Very quick. Oh, yes. Punish- punishable by death. If, if you, you any any less than five, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty pretty quick end. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Now how how did they react for hearing music for the first time? Oh they they completely lost it. They loved it. They freaked out. It was uh, instantly gave them well A a lot of respect for Earth, B a lot of regret for trying to, you know, take it over. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you know we had a lot of sort of catching up to do with our Hondonian brethren uh, when uh, when Kevin went back. A lot had happened, uh, you know, with the uh, saving Hondo and, and destroying the comet. So instead of kind of launching into that whole story for them, uh, we just started, uh, you know, with with the music, right? And um, that really, I think, opened opened their ears, and through that, opened their eyes and mm-hmm. their minds. So it, it sort of used music to sort of open up a dialogue and and kind of go over you know what happened and and why we shouldn't you guys shouldn't destroy earth right 
Yes, yes. Well, uh, you know, the colonization of Earth was no longer necessary after we destroyed the comet. Right. However, there was still, you know, once the industrial military complex gets moving, uh, yeah. they, they pretty much want to finish what they started. So we had to smooth that over a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, mm. But you know, like we said earlier, it's, this is about storytelling music. So we kind of told our story through, you know, music to the Hondonians, and they really picked up on it. Yeah. And you know, and, and as soon as they heard music, they understood why we couldn't, um, you know, why we couldn't destroy Earthlings. So it was right. really sort of the best way to sort of, from, from an emotional perspective, communicate that, uh, you know, why, why we did what we did, why we disobeyed our orders and, and didn't uh, destroy Earth. And we're kind of working on our second album, which is called, Hey, remember that time we almost destroyed all Earthlings? That was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you owe us a, you owe, you owe us a big thank you, Earth. P.S. You're welcome. <laughs> that's amazing so uh, I wanted to ask about the your species seems to have this innate ability to play music now I don't know if because in the film this is a reenactment of what happened did you just cut out the fact that you guys had to learn to play instruments or does your species just pick it up and know how to do it you know the thing about that is that uh, it's not so much an innate ability to play music as much as it is uh, we're very very quick learners uh, you've probably heard at some point that uh, humans use only about three to four percent of their brain. Uh, Hondonians use about six percent. So we oh, okay. really bump it up, and uh, we could really pick things up pretty quick. Yeah. Oh. We also took up knitting, and I've got a wicked blanket. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We also just took the PSATs and did very well. <laughs> oh, great! Getting a lot done. Yeah. Now, uh, besides. Besides the whole music aspect, what is the biggest difference between Earth and Hondo? Uh, there is a lot of like, huge and, and profound sort of both cultural and, and physiological and just sort of, um, you know, space-time differences. Um, you know, one obvious example that, that uh, comes to my mind is that on Hondo, tracksuits don't have the little stripes up the side. No stripes at all. <laughs> really? Yeah. Not a single stripe. What? That was a big head scratcher for us uh, the first time we watched The Sopranos. You can take mm. a jump or watch a mob show and never see one single strike. Um, you know, I'll, I'll you know I'll throw uh, another one out there. Um, I went to go see an Earth doctor uh -huh. uh, who told me that um, you know my cholesterol was a little high, and he, and he prescribed uh, fish oil, which is an over-the-counter you know pill that you can take with fish oil in it. Uh, we don't have those pills on Hondo. No fish oil at all. Not a no single. fish oil and, yeah. and no stripes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tracksuits. It's kind of the small things, but the small things are the big things. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they really that's that's the stuff that blows your mind. And you know, I mean, and then other, you know, smaller things like our atmosphere on Hondo is comprised of, you know, ammonium nitrate and and sulfur. But you know, I mean, it's yeah, there's some of the more obvious ones, yeah. like little little bits like that. So, mm. one of the other differences uh, according to one of your songs, uh, the dogs we have here on Earth are actually refugees from another planet. Uh, when cats overthrew them, are the Earth cats here also from that planet, or are they just regular cats? Uh, no, they're just uh, from Earth, and they're total jerks. Uh, okay. um, they do have intergalactic traveling ability. They've been keeping that on the DL for I don't know how long on Earth. Years, uh, literally. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're very sneaky. I mean, you you know how they are. They're always very aloof. There's a reason they're keeping their distance. Right. I always think that they're scheming. Yeah. They're always scheming. They're always plotting scheming. Yeah. They're also sh shitting in your house, whether you know it or not. <laughs> yes. That's right. And not so, always in that litter box. Keeping mm. with that, do you guys have pets? 
on Hondo? What do you what do you have as pets? Yeah, uh, I, I have a uh, a pointed prickle beast named Gonzor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really actually one of the things I miss most about Hondo is um, you know scratching his exoskeleton and just kind of <laughs> you know spending some quality time with him. I have a laser hawk. Um, oh, his, God, yeah, that sounds amazing. Oh yeah, he, he's they make great pets. Um, occasionally, someone will lose an eye or something to the laser, but. Um, you, know, you really get to love them. They, they become one of the family. You know, we're really though. Yeah, attached. Yeah, like a, like a, like another child that's a bird with lasers that shoot out of its eyes. Just like oh. that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would gladly lose an eye to have a laser hawk. Mm. Totally worth it. Yeah. Totally worth it. Man. Now, another talking about another song here: space worms. Yes. You guys talk about uh, harvesting and farming space worms. Yes. What exactly is a space worm, and what are they used for? Um, space worms could probably most easily be related to cows on Earth. Yeah. Uh, great eating. You know, you could have a space worm burger. Yep, space worm dog. Mm. Space worm steak. Space worm po' boy. Uh, blackened space worm. Uh, chicken fried space worm. Yep. Uh, mm. um, lightly fried space worm. <laughs> space worm scampi. <laughs> space worm alfredo. Uh, Space, space worm marinara. Yeah. Space worm with just a light butter sauce for the kids when they, you know, they like something kind of plain. Well, that's a little more bland. Um, but that yeah, is well, good. for that the children. That's good for That's why they want it. That's for kids. You can skewer it. Yeah, you can. You can uh, it's great for, for, for summer barbecues. As long You have to put it on the tinfoil or else they fall in through between, between the slats. You can slice it really thin or you can do big chunks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a car, carpaccio yeah. style. A lot of levels worm. too. You can get like crappy space worm at a drive-thru. Mm -hmm. You can get really expensive quality space worm at a nice restaurant. Yeah, like, and the difference, the difference, you will know the oh, difference. Oh, yeah, you taste it. You really taste it. Um, but, you know, I mean, it is, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's sort of the cornerstone of the Hondonian economy. We also use it for we Boots. use their skin for yeah for for clothing items um you know for cool vests yep uh yeah exactly um you know and we also harvest their oil which which um you know we have um that it fuels our our light sources right um and no fish oil but we do have space worm yeah oil. yeah and, it, and <laughs> just sort of as a general all-purpose lubricant is really good yeah okay. so now that you guys are out there the world the world knows who you are where you're from are you concerned that our U.S. government will intervene and attempt to contact you, study you, experiment on you? Uh, we're actually already in cahoots with the government. We've been working we with are. them for about two years. Very oh, okay. stuff. Yeah. Very big time. Can't really tell you about it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. kind of it's the iPhone 6. All right. Oh. Wow. <laughs> no. We got a we got a couple things on yeah. the, on on the stove with the with the government some yeah. some exciting projects that we're that we're really excited about yeah. uh, one you know one that's going to launch at the at the end of the summer literally launch yeah yep so just keep your eye out for that okay well that's that's interesting yeah I mean they they've actually been very happy to work with us uh, a little disappointed that we haven't received any sort of awards or anything from them uh, again you know we did kind of. Save the race. Yeah, I mean, we saved Earthlings, but they explained to us uh, after we s signed the non-disclosure uh, right. agreement that um, you know we had to kind of keep it keep it on the DL as far as their knowledge of our our activity and, and vice versa. So it's a little it's a little disappointing uh, yeah. because we are essentially you know the savior to each and every Earthling. I, I just want one parade, just one parade, one once a year maybe. 
Um, right before this interview, Kevin, you told me you wanted three parades. All right, all right, but I would go down to one parade if, if that would, <laughs> it would give something. I ideally would like three parades, yeah. Three well, really, really, though, like, wasn't, uh, weren't you the ones that were, were going to destroy Earth? You're talking semantics here. Uh, right? yeah. <laughs> okay. Parents, yeah, right? you know, we were going to destroy it, then we I saved it's it. Not I mean, it was going to happen but, you one know, way or the other. You know, it's like... It's not us, it's somebody else. Totally. You know, it was... Okay. You know. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah, I mean, it's, the important thing is we saved Earth. Yep, we saved Earth, so... That's the main focus, okay. Yep. I see. So... How do people treat you now that do most people know that you saved Earth? And I know you're going to have a press conference well, it, it, discussing this. Well, the movie knows. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, you know, we live in New York City, so generally we're just sort of ignored. We wear our space suits, um, you know, out and about and on the subway. Um, but we don't really garner a lot of attention here in Manhattan. I guess that we've picked the right city to live in in terms of keeping a low profile. Yeah, I think so. Anonymity in, in Manhattan is really... I can't even say that word. I, can't, I, I wasn't even completely <laughs> sure that I said it right. In fact, I kind of looked at General Trius to be like, did I say that word right? No. You guys can't see me, but that's what I did. See an enemy. See a seahorse. So you are having a press conference coming up, is that correct? That's correct. This Wednesday we're having a, a press conference and we're sort of maybe hoping that this is going to be like the equivalent to a surprise party where maybe we finally do get our parade. Yep. I was going to say, if, if they don't have a parade, are you going to ask for one during the press conference? Uh, yeah, you're yeah. damn right. I'm going to ask for I, one. I would. I, mean, I was, yeah. I was completely honest. Say. Just throw it out there. Yeah. Generally, Bill likes to sulk until somebody picks up on it and gives him his way. Whereas I'm just going to make a stink about it and, and, you know, be a real pain in the ass about it. Kevin, you said that you returned to Hondo once already. Yeah. Uh, Bill, have you taken your, or, or should I call you General Treas? Do you uh, prefer no, one you, or the other? Call me, no, call me Bill. Um, okay. I, uh, that's what most Earthlings call me. Um, okay. I haven't been back to Hondo. I've been super busy. It's totally on my list of things to do. I've been yeah. meaning to get back. One of my buddies on Hondo is getting married, uh, so I might I might go back this uh, this summer, you know. But I you know I, it's well, a long trip. It, it's you get busy and you know, you know and like the jet lag is crazy. I you know I, I Skype occasionally with um you know with with some of my friends and family on Hondo, but yeah. it's a little awkward because major of, holidays. Yeah, it's a the, so Skyping is weird just because it's there's a latency of about um, two and a half weeks for each message to you know <laughs> flash across uh, to Hondo. So it's. You talk over each other, or you forget to reply to two and a half weeks later. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, I, I'm totally, totally meaning to, to to get back. JetBlue has some great, um, some great fares now, so I'm going to take advantage of that. Okay. No, I'm sorry, so, Virgin. Virgin. Uh, JetBlue doesn't go in outer space. Yeah, it's Virgin. Yeah, Virgin. Definitely Virgin. Right. So let's. I want to talk about the movie um, History of Future Folk. Kind of chronicles. Uh, when you guys save the earth. So why are people going to love this movie? Uh, I think what people will really love about this film is that it's got a big heart, and that seems to be the response we've gotten from it a lot. Um, it's a comedy that doesn't rely very heavily on being crass or being um, ironic or, or negative in any way. It, it's a very positive kind of offbeat comedy. Um, you know, we, we took our story and sort of tried to find... Uh, 
the lightness in it, and of course, you know, it, there's there's plenty of drama and some action and stuff in there too. But um, you know, there, there's a genuine love uh, between the characters and 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 the people that are part of our story, and a genuine love for music. And uh, I think all that love and all that big heart really really kind of jumps off the screen of people and leaves them walking away with a pretty big smile. Yeah, and one thing I've I've heard um, over and over again, um, which is nice about the history of Future Folk, uh, is that people of of all ages um, can can get something out of it. True. Um, you know, it, uh, young children have seen it and and love it and will sing Space Worms for days on end. Um, you know, older older audiences obviously there's something that resonates um, there with them too. So it's really exciting to be able to tell a story that that it sort of is so universal that everybody uh, can enjoy it. Yeah. And I, and I think that uh, I I will agree with everything that you're saying. I, I could have used with some more music actually. Oh, okay. I'd like I'd like to I'd like more of oh, what you guys have going yeah. on. Well, thank you. That's nice to hear. We do you have can an, find it on iTunes. Yep, yep. Our album uh, is called Future Folk Volume One, and it's on uh, iTunes and Etunes and Artunes. I think those last Artunes could uh, be yep. Artunes, Etunes, Space Tunes. Um, uh, but yeah, no, we have um, you know there's about uh, ten or eleven songs on the album, including the ones that you'll hear in the. Uh, in the movie and others as well that sort of uh, flesh out that what you know what it is to be Hondonian on Earth. Now, have there been any differences between what really happened and what happens in the movie? Uh, no, that was exactly uh, what yeah, what happened. That was take for take, uh, life moment for life moment, exactly how it went down. Yep. Oh, okay. So the the a- alien assassin that came down. Yep. to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's surprisingly ex- cool about signing on. Yeah, I would, yeah. I was just gonna say that cameo that that the the bounty hunter was the, actually the same person that tried to kill us. Yeah, in real life, same guy. You know, yeah. oh. we're, we're, we're yeah. uh, on, on speaking terms now, and we asked him to to fly in and and, yeah. and his do, agents do a pain in the ass, but yeah, but yeah. ultimately yeah, he was very out. cool about signing on to the project. Yep, and uh, we we actually really got along after we got over the whole. Oh my God! You tried to kill Bill. Thing, yep. You know. Like. Yep. He actually sent us a uh, an Usmus ham this past. He did. It was so nice yeah. and delicious. Yeah. Now, where's this guy from? Is he from Hondo as well, or is he from some other planet? No, he's from a, a in a neighboring assassin planet. Uh, that's a, you know essentially a um, a warrior uh, culture. Yeah, you could say. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of um, basically, if you need a a bounty hunter, um, it's uh, you, you call this. Planet, just kind of like on Earth. If you need a prostitute, you call Brighton Beach. Right. <laughs> I see. Same now, same deal. Exactly. I noticed that you guys say Hondo a lot. Hondo. So what? What's that all about? Well, Hondo is is one of those words that's been um, sort of appropriated to mean many different things in our culture. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, you know, it's like aloha it can mean hello or goodbye. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it just essentially is a sort of the embodiment of the the good spirit of the of the Hondonian people. Um, and it's anytime you're feeling good or you want to sort of connect with somebody on an emotional level, it's a good way to sort of summarize those feelings. Yeah, it's it's an exclamation, and okay. al- also means hello and goodbye. And it's the name of our planet. It's kind of like we've seen this um, Earth Earth show. Somebody showed us this Earth show from the '80s called The Smurfs. Um, oh, yeah. which is interesting, uh, it, it, one of the more interesting documentaries we've ever seen. Really interesting philosophy there. Um, and we noticed that they uh, have a similar sort of colloquialism when they use uh, Smurf to mean right. different yeah. things. That sort, of, that sort of echoed with us in terms of how we, how we use Honda. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
I see. Get Smurf out of here and stuff like that. There's yeah, been. yeah. They said that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's do some plugging, shall we? Please, please. So the the film comes out in New York this Friday. Is that correct? The thirty first comes out. That's correct. Uh, May thirty first, the same day that Asteroid nineteen ninety eight QE two will make its closest pa- pass to Earth. Is it a coincidence? The answer is no. Mm. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. That's the thing that happened on the same day. If you look really closely through a telescope, there will be a huge banner that says Hondo on the back of that asteroid. Yep. Like those airplanes you see at the beach when you're on right. vacation. Or at Brighton Beach. Yeah, Brighton Beach. With, <laughs> and there's the asteroid, uh, the plane with the banner that says 1-800-Hooker. Uh, so yes, yeah, so the history of Future Folk coming out on May 31st in New York. We're going to be uh, doing about uh, 15 cities throughout the summer. Uh, June uh, 7th, we come out on uh, June 4th. We come out on, on uh, video on demand. June 7th, uh, June 7th, we're going to be in LA for the uh, West Coast premiere, um, and we're really uh, we're really excited about that. We're going to open up in about 15 cities across the country. Um, so we're really uh, we're really excited to have uh, the opportunity for for everybody to come see our movie. And obviously, if you're not living in one of those 15 cities, uh, you'll be able to rent it on on iTunes um, and, and on demand. And on demand. And uh, are you guys now? In, I know. Are you guys doing any kind of music shows currently? Are you doing any gigs? Well, I believe we're going to be playing some music when we're out uh, in Los Angeles, and we'll probably be doing uh, some stuff around the, the premiere here, but it will be sort of in an unofficial capacity. We do play uh, gigs in New York from time to time, usually at uh, you know comedy clubs and, and, and stuff like that. And uh, if you uh, check out our, our Facebook page or our Twitter account, we're, we're always plugging, plugging those events there. You want to give us a little taste? Uh, a little taste of the tunes? Yeah. You got it, absolutely. Let me pick up my banjo here. Put on my banjo picks. Well, uh, should, we do a, should we do a Space Worms for them, Kevin? Yeah, let's do a Space Worms for them. All right. Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, it sounds oh, yeah. good. All right, ready? One, two. One, two, three, four.
Thank you so much. That was great. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. I think that's a good place to close it out. Um, do you guys have a – what's your website? Uh, we're at futurefolk.com. Uh, our uh, Facebook is Facebook uh, backslash futurefolkmusic, and our Twitter is at future underscore folk. We're not much for consistency in uh, naming conventions, but we got future folk in all of those. Great. Well <laughs> – Check out the music. Thank you very much, guys. Right. Hondo! 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 It's been a pleasure speaking with you guys. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you, guys, you. Hondo! Thanks again, guys. The History of Future Folk comes out in New York this Friday, June 7th in L.A., and June 4th on Video On Demand. Let's go ahead and get into some of what we've been watching, shall we? Ooh, that's... All right. Uh, I had a big week this week, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep things light and truncated. Oh. Light and truncated. Let's do it. Uh, first up, saw a band called Death. This is the new Draft House Films uh, release. It's a documentary about the band Death. Yes. Um, I'm not really at liberty to say too much about it just yet, but I'll have a review up when it hits on demand on the 24th of May. So be sure to check it out. I did like it. I'll say that much. Uh, I, then I saw. I, I am, I'm very interested in this movie since I am a fan of the band Death. Now, when when did you discover Death? I, it... I, it was about like three, four years ago, I think. Yeah, because that's actually an interesting part of the movie. It, it's not a documentary that just goes over the history of the band. Uh, it does that for maybe the first half, and then it kind of switches gears and. Um, talks about kind of the resurgence or maybe even discovery of this band and th- that's really interesting but we'll have to we'll talk more about it when it comes out but in the meantime check out check out the music yeah Death. i would i would definitely say hit itunes spotify whatever check out the music because it is really really good and then i saw a horror movie called american mary oh i, uh, I wanted to see this yeah as well. this is uh this is getting a lot of buzz getting a lot of buzz so i wanted to wanted to check it out it's directed by the saska sisters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh it's basically about this girl who is she's a medical student and she enters the world of underground body modification okay mm-hmm. uh very very twisted movie i would liken it to cronenberg maybe yeah, a little little bit of Cronenberg. Um, overall, I did overall I did like it, um, but I did I did have a few issues here and there. the The latter part of the film, like the final act of the film, uh, it started losing me. But I thought that the the whole first half of the movie was great, and uh, the I believe it's is it Catherine Isabel who is the star. She's great <laughs> in it. She's really good. <laughs> so I, I still I still recommend it. It's probably a light recommend for me. Okay. Uh, I had a huge Swanberg marathon that I did this oh, week. 
Uh, I saw like, I don't know, seven Swanberg movies. Lord have mercy. Yeah, I saw LOL, Nights and Weekends, Uncle Kent, Autoerotic, which is him and Adam Weingard and Alexander the Last. I'm not going to get into detail about any of them specifically, but it's funny watching a Swanberg movie because it's like I I can understand why critics don't like him. Mm -hmm. Mm Because I think generally speaking, critics aren't a big fan of his movies. Right, I mean, especially Devin Faraci, the guy, the guy that he fought. But uh, at the same time, I like most of his movies. Like t- t- to me, almost all of these movies, the ones that I mentioned, are on the same level. Like okay. I like them all fairly equally because they're all very similar. Like they're they're short. They usually involve uh, couples or friends. Uh, usually, the guys in his movies are complete assholes. Uh, for the most part, yeah. And I, think like. that, and I think maybe that's part of why people don't like his movies that much, because the characters are always like really self-centered, kind of just pricks. But I still find his movies to be pretty light and entertaining, uh, some, some more than others. I mean, I think it was in like 2011, he made like six movies or something, so he was like cranking them out left and right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I think one of the other things that maybe critics don't necessarily like about him is like the quality of some of these films. Like when you're talking 2011 where he made six or seven films, the quality in those six or seven films are really, really low. Like Uncle Kent looks like it was made on an iPhone, if that. Well, I think uh, with Uncle Kent, a lot of it was shot with a phone, right? I mean, I think so. It definitely looks like it. I hope it was shot with a phone. If it wasn't a phone, it was definitely one of those, um, they don't make them anymore. Flip cam. Flip cams. They don't make flip cams anymore, do they? No, no, they don't. But yeah, I mean, the quality is very low out of all all the ones that I saw. Very low quality. I mean, I think autoerotic was probably one of the best quality ones but i didn't i didn't even like that one too much but i i do like joe swanberg i want to get that out there and for the for the most part i am i do find his movies to be entertaining and i I like that he has uh a theme in his movies that his movies are usually really light on plot Mm -hmm. and they just kind of end and i think maybe that could bother some people but i think out of all of them lol was probably my favorite Sort of, which was interesting because it came out in 2006, but it's all about like kind of young, young people's obsession with technology. And it was like kind of, it's funny because it came out in 2006 and now it's even worse. So it's like, it's a story about people that are, uh, that are completely obsessed with technology. And when it came out in 2006, people probably saw this and were like, oh man, it'd be terrible if that's how people really were and then now they really are like that oh my god yeah so I, I thought that, that was that was kind of interesting and, and it always seems like swanberg has this um it, it almost seems like he always has his finger on the pulse of kind of what what the latest in technology is he's always using modern technology in his movies like with uncle ken he was using chat roulette and that type of thing yeah but uh, I forgot, so i forget all about chat roulette <laughs> yeah yeah, man. Is that still around? Is chat roulette still around? I'm guessing. I don't know. I've never used it because well, for <laughs> obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, if you watch Uncle Kent, you'll realize what we're talking about. 
Yeah, and actually, that that brings up another good point: is that he he's definitely not afraid to show some full frontal nudity and sex in no, his movies. Not at all, because almost every one of them has at least one pretty graphic sex scene. Uh, and then I saw Assault on Wall Street by Uwe Boll. I yeah, I've been wanting to ask you about this. Well, the reason that I watched it because we had Ernie review it on the site. And he gave it a 6 out of 10. And as soon as I saw that score, I was like, I have to watch this because there's just no way an Uwe Boll movie is worth a 6 out of 10. And I still say that it's not worth a 6 out of 10. However, after reading Ernie's review, he was kind of basing it off of other Uwe Boll movies and other kind of B movies of the same ilk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... I will say it's his best movie. It's it's the most watchable out of all the Uwe Boll movies I've seen. And I've actually seen a number of Uwe Boll movies. For some reason or another. It's, it's just... It's fine. It's a fine movie. It's not... Don't go into it expecting to see something great, but it's it's entertaining and... I would imagine right now that no one's going to see this based on what you said. (laughs) It's the most watchable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's the most watchable Uwe Boll movie out there, which means still well clear of this. I would compare it to like one of just these random like action films like, uh, like Broken City or just, you know, these like kind of average forgettable action movies. Like that's just kind of what this is. It's about a guy who is affected by the, the financial crisis in 2008. Like he loses his job, his house, his savings, his wife commits suicide. Um, and then he just loses it and goes on a killing spree and kills all the people that fucked him over. (laughs) So it's like Uwebo's Postal, but on Wall Street. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely if you've seen the Postal movie, this has a very, very different tone. Like, the Postal movie's not... It doesn't take itself seriously yeah. at all. This movie takes itself very seriously, almost to a fault. I was going to say, that makes it sound even worse. I mean, it's it's not it's not horrible. I'll, I'll say that. Uh <laughs> I saw The Exterminator, which is a film from 1980. This was my Grindhouse Weekly uh, movie. And this is another revenge. I feel like I saw a lot of revenge movies this week, actually, now looking at my list. Um, This is kind of, I think in my review, I described it as a poor man's taxi driver Mm. or Rolling Thunder or Death Wish. It's the exact same plot as all of these. It's about a Vietnam vet who his best friend gets mugged and ends up in the hospital paralyzed from the neck down. And he just has had enough with the crime in New York. And he's going to clean up the city, right? Yep. And uh, that's what he does. And it's, uh, you know, whereas Rolling Thunder or Taxi Driver have this slow buildup, you know, and it's more about the character. It's about the, the psychology of the person and what brings them to this point where they just have had enough. Mm -hmm. Um, With The Exterminator, it's firing on all cylinders from the very beginning of the movie. Like, in the first scene of the movie, you see somebody get their head cut off. And there's there's very little character development happening. They they attempt it, but it doesn't really work. And 
it's just kind of this fun B movie with just watching this guy kill a bunch of bad people. And uh, you know, it, it's it's worth a watch. I I think that a lot of people like this movie, so it's worth checking out. Um, Birdemic Two. Um, mm. <laughs> is this, is this, this is our feature review, right? Yeah, feature review. Birdemic Two. The resurrection. Don't forget yeah. that it's the resurrection. The, the resurrection, yep. Um, platoon of eagles and vultures once again attack Hollywood. Why did the eagles and vultures attack? Hmm? Um, you know, that's a good that's a good question. I'm not sure why anything happened in this movie. It's if you've seen the first Birdemic, you know exactly what to expect in this one. It's the exact same. It's not better than the first one it's probably worse but maybe that's a good thing uh there's so many ridiculous horrible stupid scenes in this movie it's laughably bad just like the first one and it's probably worth watching if you know you have a bunch of people over cook some burgers crack some beers watch birdemic too uh this is a this has to be a perfect movie to get drunk to. It is absolutely, and and we were talking we we're talking off the air, and I, I don't know if this is supposed to be bad or or not. Like I don't I know if it's it, intentionally bad or not. I have a feeling that it is. After, it's tough. I mean, after, after you know the kind of re, re, replies and stuff that he got with the first film. Well, one thing that I can tell you is that the actors are bad. Whether they're trying to. There's there's no way that the actors are in, are intentionally bad. They're just bad. Like the acting is horrible and the writing is horrible. <laughs> but might be worth a laugh or two. And uh, saw Star Trek, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and then uh, we'll we'll segue into what you've watched. I saw Peta, the new Draft House Films release. Yes, indeed. Do you want to do you want to start there? Yeah, I guess I'll start. I guess I'll start here since uh, the review that you wrote is up on the site now. Indeed. Uh, I I actually like this movie. I think quite a bit more than you. You gave it a, a five out of ten. Yes. And I would I would probably sit somewhere around a six and a half. Okay. Or maybe even a seven. Um, the the one thing. Okay, let's talk about what it's about first. Essentially, it's about this kind of mob enforcer who um, discovers his long-lost mother and she kind of he doesn't want anything to do with her at first he doesn't believe that that it's his mother she follows him around finally he uh, believes that it's his mother and he kind of goes soft yeah goes real soft and this is another revenge story and I, I liked it I thought that it was unique. Now, I, I know that you said I in your review did, that... I did not think that. Yeah, was, yeah. To me, this is just like a standard revenge film. And I don't... Another thing about this is... I don't know if it's because of me and you seeing so many films and being critical of films that... I mean, the introduction of her character, you know, the long-lost mother. I mean, right away I knew, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah, well, I I'm, not, um, I'm, I'm not trying to. I don't want to spoil the movie or anything. No, but um, like, as, as soon as her character is injected into the story, I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, and I, I, I feel as though I already I knew the ending, and then I still another like 
like 70 minutes until we got there. I, uh, I also predicted it. Now, one thing is there were several moments that occurred throughout the movie that made me question that prediction. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had an idea of what was happening and it turned out I was right. But, um, you know, that, that wasn't really enough for me to, to be like, oh, no, because I, I find that with a lot of movies, they're predictable. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I for- yeah. I, I'm, I mean, there's a I, lot more I, to it, though. I completely <laughs> forgot to mention that I saw BlackRock this weekend uh-huh. as well. And that kind of that talking about predictable made me think of Black Rock uh, because that movie's, you know, the thing about Black Rock, and I don't mean to get off PETA, but I just wanted to mention this. Uh, it is exactly like the trailer. Everything you see in the trailer is the movie, nothing more. And it was, it was so point like the trailer rendered the movie pointless, and I hate it when that happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm almost getting to the point now where I won't watch trailers. Yeah. Like, I try to I try to read, like, absolutely nothing about a film. You know, I'll see who the director is, what the story is, and who's in it. And, and I sort of try and keep it at that. I try to learn as the smallest amount of information as possible. Yeah, there have been, there have been a few that are set to come out this year. Like, I'll post the trailer on the site, but I won't watch it. Yeah. Or I'll try try not to. But getting back to PETA, um, yes, it is predictable. <laughs> and one of the other things that I wanted to mention was the uh, camera work was kind of odd in this movie. Mm, I it hated om- the camera work. It almost felt like it was a Duplass movie where they yes. did the quick, the quick oh zoom in. I forgot all about the quick zoom. The quick zoom was, in, the quick yeah, zoom out. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even mention that in my review. Oh, my God, I hated that. But I I hated like the shit. There's it's certain moments where they sort of they change the camera work of the film where it goes to like shaky cam, mm-hmm. and it becomes extremely self aware. And it, they try to give it like a documentary feel to it, and they always do it at the most uh, emotional points of the film, which just took me completely out of it. Yeah. As soon as they would do that, I just I couldn't stand it. It drove me crazy. And well, the, the the character of uh, Gang Do, you know, the lone shark enforcer. I thought his character was completely one-dimensional and just stereotypical and annoying. And the whole introduction of her character where she's just like waddling around behind him for like 30 minutes, not saying anything. There it's were, like, speed this up. There were a lot of really weird um, moments that, that seemed unnatural that happened in the movie like things where you'd be like well if this is supposed to be realistic this wouldn't happen like no like uh like he wouldn't just sit there in the wheelchair and and let her talk to him like that or you know there's there's a lot of moments where you're just like it doesn't really feel natural it doesn't feel like that that would be what would happen there's a ton of plot holes in this and the, uh, the whole ending is like just completely riddled with plot holes. Yeah, the the ending was. I felt like the ending was so weird how it, how it played out. But um, I also like it. there's a lot of slapping in this movie. And yeah, I I feel as though that's that's what they like to do. They they do that all the time. Almost every Asian movie I see, they just slap. They just they slap people around like crazy. You never see that in yeah, in uh, American movies. Where the people get slapped around, and, and they're really—I mean—they're really slapping each mm-hmm. other. You can tell that th- that's yeah. not like a fake slap. 
the other bizarre thing is it, for the most part no one does anything when they're slapped they just they take just it. yeah they just stand there and take it that's a, it's sort of bizarre i mean fight back I love the scene when <laughs> she's slapping the boss around and he's just standing there with this befuddled look on his face like, who are you and why are you slapping me? And he just stands there for like five minutes yeah. and she's slapping him over and over. Now, the, the one thing that I, the number one aspect of this film that I did like is the ending, uh, sort of the way that they get there, you know, his mother disappears and he has to go back through all of the people that he has yes, essentially like made that. cripples, you know, right. to collect the insurance money. And that's sort of how their loan shark scam works. And, you know, sort of having to go back through everybody and making him realize, you know, what he's done over his life. I enjoyed that. It just took entirely too long to get to that point. And then what happens after that was just so ridiculous and preposterous that this was just complete, completely average to me. And I can't um, believe that it's getting as much buzz as it as it has. And I can't believe that it actually, you know, won the biggest award. Yeah, won the golden line. Yeah. On the technicality, though. Was what, it was, what was this technicality? Cause I, it's, it's a new bylaw. Originally, they, the master won. P.T. Anderson's the master was the winner. Right. But P.T. Anderson was winning for best director, and Joaquin Phoenix was winning for best actor. And... Their bylaw is is that one film can't win numerous awards. So P.T. Anderson could only win Best Film or Best Director. So they gave him Best Director and then picked another movie for Best Film, which ended up being Pieta. Which, well, to me, after seeing this, was just sort of them going like, uh, just pick another one. Well, I'm sure that they have a runner-up available i'm sure they did too but i mean looking at the other films that played there this definitely should not have won i mean in my opinion well a lot of people are loving on this movie i've been looking at some of the critical views and stuff <laughs> well i think they are mistaken <laughs> i i don't i sit in between where you sit and where somebody that absolutely loves it i i liked it a lot but I, I, like I, I said before, I'd be giving it like a six and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you're not going much higher than what I'm at. When I think that people that are into Asian cinema and see a lot of movies that are similar to this, like Mother, for instance, um, they have kind of a, a deeper knowledge of these types of movies and can pick out ones that are better. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's sort of the the thing that got me is because me and you watch a lot of these, you know, Korean revenge movies or, you know, Japanese revenge movies. And there's so many films that are much better than this one. Mm -hmm. I mean, better made, better constructed, just better production quality and cinematography that I can't believe that this one's getting so much buzz. I think maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it's because this is, even though that there are, there is, brutality in this movie i feel like it's still more subdued than something like i saw the devil or uh yeah, that's sympathy true. for mr vengeance and I, I think i really do think that if there's a lot of graphic violence in a movie that people that are on like juries and critics and stuff will not regard it as highly as something that is more of a drama that has some sparse moments of brutal violence yeah which I don't think should be the case at all. I no, think if it's, it's it shouldn't be. 
But I will, I will say that uh, Minsu Joe, who plays the, the long lost mother, does an amazing job in this film, which this is her first role, essentially. And you would think, I mean, by watching her, I figured that she was, you know, like a big time Korean actress. Yeah, she was she was really good. I thought everybody was good. I liked all the performances. Although it looked like the the main character was at Lee Hyung Jin. Mm-hmm. He he looked like he had eyeliner on. It bothered me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, the little things that will pick apart. Yep. Fucking eyeliner. All right. What else you got? What else do I got? I I didn't watch too much this week, and I watched some shit too. Which, uh, first of which was a French film called Red Lights, which is little known, but I was extremely excited because I'm a huge uh, George Simenon fan. He's a Belgian writer, and he writes, you know, uh, thrillers and stuff of that ilk. And so I was excited to see this. I was like, oh, an adaptation. I've read Red Lights, the novel that it's based off of, which I absolutely loved. And this movie just took that book, opened it up, and took a giant shit in it, because it's awful. And then closed it again, smear it through the pages. Yes, and it's, oh my god, it looks like a made-for-TV movie. And I'm not talking like nowadays, where (laughs) made-for-TV movies look like movies. I'm talking like 80s, where everything is just terrible. The lighting's terrible, the whole look of it is just awful. And most of it, because the the story essentially is husband, wife, they have to go on a road trip to pick up their kids from summer camp. So he's feeling like his manhood's been stripped a little bit, so he starts drinking to make him feel strong, make him feel like a man again. They get in a little bit of a quarrel, and she goes off and takes the train. And, you know, it follows him the rest of the way as he keeps getting hammered and hammered and drunk driving, and some other stuff happens. So a lot of this film takes place you know the character driving in his car and it looks awful like just imagine the worst um the worst scenes you've ever seen of someone you know driving a car you know the way that it, it extremely yeah. fake with the bad lighting birdemic too just yeah. saw it this weekend yeah it's it's that for like 80 percent of the film yeah and like ever the main character does a pretty good job of of uh you know, him going through, you know, getting drunk and losing his manhood and all this stuff. He does a good job, but everyone else is absolutely terrible. Like, there's an injection of an escaped convict that he, you know, ends up giving a ride towards, you know, like, three-fourths of the rest of the film. And the guy that plays the escaped convict is it's so unbelievably terrible. He's, number one, he's not intimidating at all. Like, he does nothing. He just, like, sleepwalks through the entire film. Like, half the time he's just sleeping. And he's supposed to be this, you know, oppressive figure. And he's supposed to sort of scare you because it's just, you know, it's a thriller type. And he does not deliver at all. And it just becomes absolute boredom. Just terrible. I'm really pissed off that I watched this. And it was the bad thing that I got, like, halfway through and I wanted to stop. But because of liking the novel, I was like, ah, I have to see how they do it. And I really wish I didn't. I wish I just stopped. That, that hasn't happened to me recently. I, sometimes that, that'll happen to me. but. And the, the interesting thing is, is I'm reading some reviews and a lot of people say that it's an amazing film. And I, 
it's almost like, did I watch the right one? But I did. I just do not agree with people because I thought it was terrible. <clears throat> Another one I watched was uh, Ballast. I don't know if you remember this uh, little indie film from 2008, directed by Lance, Lance Hammer. Maybe Sounds if you, familiar. yeah, I think if you see the, the, the poster. For some reason, I always got this uh, film confused with, uh, I can't remember the other one. I would always get it confused. With. I don't know if it was like Goodbye Solo or something. But anyways, this is a drama set in the Mississippi Delta. Their uh, one man's suicide affects three people's lives, essentially his brother, his son, and his son's mother. And pretty much uh, if you've ever seen a southern independent, American independent film, you've seen Ballast already. Because mm. it's exactly like every other one you've ever seen. Which, I gotta say, it's not too bad, because... Oftentimes, they're pretty good. And, I mean, it has all your typical shaky cam, having the camera following behind the character mm-hmm. as they're walking through, mm-hmm. like, fields and mud-soaked fields, and everything takes place in, like, trailer parks and all that shit. But Winter's Bone style. Yeah. The, one of the main things that bothered me is, in the beginning, there's... The kid is, like, he's buying crack from crack dealers. And you think, like, oh, shit. Things get stuff is getting real here. You know, they come in and steal his Xbox and stuff because he owes the money. And you're you're thinking, okay, stakes are high. Next thing you know, the crack dealer show up, punched his mother in the face, and then they're just completely gone the rest of the movie. You never hear from them ever again. <laughs> and it's almost like, why did we spend so much time with these crack dealers if you're just gonna drop them and never discuss them ever again? And then, like, the film completely changes and switches gears about, like, his mother losing his job or losing her job and, like, reopening, uh, like, a convenience store and sort of them going through that process, which is a very bizarre shift at, like, the halfway point. So that's, like, a like a light recommend. I have a feeling that I'm going to completely forget this film within a couple of weeks. Mm. I'm just going to remember nothing. I, I, I mean, I would give it, like, a six... Maybe. Mm-hmm. 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 So, yeah. Not big on that one. Ballast. And I think that's it. Let's talk about Star Trek Into Darkness. Ernie, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How's life on the East Coast? It's it's pretty good. It's going good. Uh, so this wow. is directed by J.J. Abrams. Uh, stars Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, uh, Simon Pegg, John Cho, Carl Urban... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Anton Yelkin, Peter Weller, RoboCop. Yep. Uh, and also a, a small role with uh, by with Noel Clark, who I'm a big fan of, and I didn't even know he was in this until I actually saw uh, it. Who was he? He was the the guy who um, his daughter was sick. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, he's actually a, a actor and a director. He directed. Uh, two uk films that i really liked or maybe it was just one of the two but he was involved with adulthood and adulthood mm-hmm. uh, which i'm a big fan of those and he's in a bunch of other stuff that that i liked quite a bit so let's go ahead and read the synopsis after the crew of the enterprise find an unstoppable force of terror from within their organization 
Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. Now, again, with any big movie like this, we are going to talk about it without giving anything away. And there's some major spoilers to talk about in this movie. So we're going to kind of skirt around that and just talk about our general thoughts. Now, you have the review posted on the site, so mm-hmm. I think I'll start it off. I I like this movie a lot. Short answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was thinking about if I liked it as much as the first one, and I think I liked them equally. One of the things that I really liked about the first one was just the how seeing how the the crew came together right and and seeing what it was like before they were in the crew but it's also nice to see them now together as like a working team you know now that they have their groove and they work well together Mm -hmm. so i like that so it's really difficult for me to say if i liked it more or less than the first one my initial reaction when i first uh, saw into darkness is like i liked it a lot and i kind of liked the first one better but I did see it again over the weekend, and I'm like, this is actually better than the first one. So, so yeah, I, like- I think that I want to see it again and really kind of think about think about it more and, and just take it in because there is a lot to take in. Yeah, there is I, a lot going on. <laughs> I really enjoyed the opening scene with them running in that uh, crazy red like forest yeah, place. I mean- I thought that that was a great way to kick off the movie. It kind of reminded me of something like Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, craziness of them. Um, it's in the trailer, so we're not really giving it away. Right. But the fact that the Enterprise can actually go underwater. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but, I think uh, that's that still cool, though. <laughs> any fans of the first one will absolutely love this one. Fans of J.J. Abrams will love this i think that this is kind of it's really interesting how jj abrams was able to take something like star trek which Mm -hmm. let's be honest it's really geared towards a a core group of people it's not a very universal thing and yet he comes out with this reboot and it's like all of a sudden it's it's mainstream everybody Mm -hmm. likes it Mm -hmm. and i think that that's really interesting how he's able to do that yeah, it's uh, if you look back on the history of the franchise, you know, it was Trek Four for the longest time was the highest-grossing movie in the franchise because it, it's very, it's not strict. It's like okay, this is just for the fans, but it's like this one was more like everybody can go to it and get into it. So it ended up being the biggest one, even though many people don't consider it the best one. Is but, that the one that brought in um, Patrick Stewart? Um, no, that was. Is that um, the one after that? I, I don't know anything about Star Trek movies, so let me, uh, so, let me oh, preface so that. Really, yeah, so, um, yeah, Star Trek 2 and 3 and 4 are kind of like a Spock trilogy. And oh, 4 okay. four is the one with the whales. Okay. And they basically changed, because 2 and 3 was so dark and serious, they changed, they decided to lighten up with the fourth one and made it very more universal, very more open to anybody instead of being it's like, okay, this is about Star Trek and like, you kind of really don't need to know much about the universe to get into the voyage home. So that ended up being the highest grossing one in the franchise until JJ Abrams, uh, Star Trek. Yeah. And this, the new one's looking to, to clean up at the box office as well. Haven't looked at the numbers, but I'm sure that it's probably uh, putting out huge numbers right now. Yeah. They haven't posted the numbers yet. It's about on par with the first one. So yeah. 
That's good. Um, I did see this in 3D, and I mm. no, normally I'm pretty indifferent when it comes to 3D movies. Like a lot of times, I can't even tell that it's 3D. Like I just forget that I'm watching a 3D movie. But right. there were there were several things in this that really just jumped out at me. And did I you, really uh, did you see it in regular 3D or IMAX 3D? I actually just saw it in regular 3D. Mm. I didn't get to see it in the IMAX, but it was great. I loved the 3D in this. That was fantastic. Yeah, the second time I saw it was in 2D, which is fine 2D. But I was like noticing things. I was like I could have sworn that was a lot more prominent, a lot more clearer. And then I'm like, oh wait, that that was probably an IMAX 3D scene. So obviously it was big and in your face. So. <laughs> But uh, Abrams did shoot scenes in IMAX, and the movie is post 3D because that's that's the compromise he made. He wanted to put in IMAX, and then but Paramount wanted to do it in 3D, so it's like, okay, well, let me shoot the stuff in IMAX that I want, and then we'll do post 3D. And post 3D is actually really good, but the IMAX imagery is like it's in your face as you forget, and sometimes you feel like you're out there, like in one space sequence. Not giving anything away, there was a space sequence where it's the full frame IMAX, so you feel like you're out there. Mm-hmm. in the action so I'm like wow that's cool but then again that's probably because I was like sitting four four rows from the screen <laughs> <laughs> but still probably if you can IMAX is probably the best way to go yeah I would I would recommend seeing IMAX I tried but I just I couldn't uh, couldn't get in there to the IMAX to see it um, performance wise I thought everybody did did fine what did you think about performances yeah everybody started to come into their own into their characters and not playing like in the original, it felt like it's like, yeah, they're great at their parts, but you're kind of feeling like they're trying to emulate who they were before. But now they're growing into this universe's version of who they are mm-hmm. and still recognize all the great moments. I mean, um, one of the great flaws with the original series or even the entire franchise before Star Trek, um, the secondary characters like Chekhov, Sulu, Scott, or really didn't have anything substantial to do. I mean, they might have done a little thing to help move the plot along, but they never really had something significant to do that was with the dealt with the plot. But I think really in Into Darkness, I think Abrams really did a solid work of really making everybody involved in the entire right. storyline. Yeah, he, he kind of turned it into more of an ensemble cast rather than keeping the focus on Kirk and mm-hmm. and um, and uh, Spock and... and I think that in in the original, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the original series, wasn't uh, Carl Urban's character? He was pretty prominent, right? Yeah, for um, that it, it was always the holy trio mm-hmm. of uh, McCoy, Kirk, and Spock, and um, and then I guess with this one, they're just focusing on Kirk and Spock. So hopefully, by the time they get to the third one around, it's more about these three together, because it's like even or even not just. Kirk and Spock doing stuff, even Kirk and McCoy doing something. And so it's always just the banter between those three. It was just like like the heart of the entire series. It was like, you're always like, oh, it's the three of them, great. Now, there's there's two other things I want to kind of get into before we get into spoilers. Uh, one, J.J. Uh, Abrams, I think, is a great director. I think that he does amazing things with movies, uh, despite the fact that he seems to be obsessed with lens flares. And I know that, that that's something that always gets talked about. But yeah, at, at this point, when I was watching this, I was like, he's just doing it on like, he's just, he's just doing it to do it now. Yeah. A like, lot of times you don't even notice it. It's like, it's like there yeah, was one what... scene, there was one scene in particular, it was on the bridge of mm-hmm. the enterprise. And there was like six of them happening yeah. at once. Yeah, I think I know what scene you're talking about. It was, was like, just, the, yeah, it was just like, <laughs> holy crap. 
And it doesn't bother me. I just think that it's some kind of like quirky thing that he does. But at this yeah, point, sometimes it can add some dramatic effect. Yeah, when when used in moderation. But I think that <laughs> it, at this point, it's almost comical how much he uses it. Mm-hmm. But it again, it doesn't bother me. I just think it's funny how seemingly obsessed he is with using the lens flares. I'm sure people are already placing money on how long it will be before the first lens flare hits in episode seven. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure that as soon as that, as soon as the title crawl happens right after that, I guarantee you're going to get one. As as soon as a long time ago and Star Wars merge on screen, that's when the first one will hit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Talking about the movie visually, I thought it looked amazing. I thought that the special effects were outstanding. Mm. Everything looked so like detailed and crisp and and f- just so fully realized. Yeah. And yeah especially if you see it in big and giant screen in the IMAX, it's like, wow, this looks great. You know? I just, I thought all the set work was so good. All the production design just looked so amazing. And it's, it was keeping, it was keeping in line with the original one. I, I know like a lot of times in movies, when you have a sequel, it, it doesn't have quite the same visual style as, the one preceding it, you know, like mm-hmm. things will look different. Yeah. And this, it felt consistent with the original one, but still looked better. But yeah, yeah, it looked, it just looked even better. And, uh, I think that we got to see more of like the inner workings of the enterprise. And I liked all that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I liked the most about this movie and even the first one as well is how, uh, I guess, Damon Lindelof has a large part in this as well mm. with injecting the the original story, the show and the movies into this new one, but keeping it so that it's not kind of like a uh, like a shameless kind of throwback. Like it, it all fits mm. into place so nicely. Yeah. And yeah, I really like that. And there's, I'm sure that there's certain things in this movie and in the first one too that I didn't pick up on, not being a huge Star Trek fan. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things where I'm just like, oh, like, uh, what do you call it? The Tribbles? Is that what they're called? Yeah, the Tribbles. Yeah, like I like that they put that in there. And just there's these like certain things and how they, with the first one, made it sort of like a time travel thing. So yeah. that, that was like kind of the way that they could keep the original story and the new story together in the same world, but have them be just, just skewed yeah, and have, have it be a different take, you know, like this happened. So the entire timeline of what we saw in the original ones has changed. Right. Right. And I think that that's, that's all really interesting. And I love the fact that they brought Leonard Nimoy back for that, for that scene Mm -hmm. in this. And I, I loved it. Yeah. It was, um, the thing that the way he established the world was that um, the thing I loved about Star Trek, uh, Abrams Star Trek, is the fact that the film not only serves as a reboot and a prequel origin story, but it also is technically the seventh adventure dealing with, well, eighth if you count Generations, which is the crossover between the two series. Eighth one dealing with these people that, because uh, most people when they hear about reboots and whatnot, they're like, they're up in arms because they're totally abandoning stuff like uh, say casino royale which totally abandons the entire history of bond Mm -hmm. and just starts fresh with no no acknowledgement of the past but this one 
the way they set it up was like, okay, Star Trek's one through ten, and the other series, all that actually happened. But because of what Nero did, the Romulan went back in time, changed everything. But because Spock is there, we know that happened. Right. So exactly. You're not, you're not saying it's like he's not. He's saying it's like, yeah, we know everything's different now, but you do know that stuff happened because you're Spock, and he, he's your he's your link to the past or the future, depending on how you look at it. And I, and I also like that there were several moments in the sequel that they referred back to the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, in addition to Spock being in it, of course, uh, Leonard Nimoy Spock, old yeah. Spock. Um, there was the the one scene when they were in the in the suits. You, you see it in the trailer when they're in the suits flying through space. There's just this quick mm-hmm. line that he says. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He that. He's like, wait, what? It's like, oh, right. oh yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I like it when they do that, where they they'll inject little things like, "Oh, remember when we did this or that," and it's referring back to the first one. So it's like everything is very uh, conscious of the mm-hmm. story, and it, it's all linked together in a nice tight package. And I and I like that a lot. And I think that that's due to good writing, but also. Yeah. You know, great, yeah, well, great director. Whenever you get around to seeing it again, you'll be able to spend more time focusing on the actual story itself and stuff that might have been not clearly evident the first time you see it because you're just caught up in the practical of it. Mm-hmm. So it really becomes more clear, which is why I end up liking it even more. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's get into some spoilers because there's, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk with you about in the spoiler section. So, From a non-Trek uh, person, this should be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> We're in spoilers. If you haven't seen Star Trek, please just fast forward this. We'll have the the time code in the show notes. Uh, first, I guess the big the big reveal: Benedict Cumberbatch is Khan. Now, yeah, I haven't seen. I'm I may have seen some of the early Star Trek movies, but yeah. I know enough about the Star Trek mythology to know who Khan is and why that character right. is important. Now, did you? There was all tons of rumors when this was being made and, and stuff about him being Khan, and they mm-hmm. kept saying, no, he's not, no, he's not. Yeah. So yeah. when when you first saw this, did you know for a fact that he was Khan? No, when I, uh, no, when I first saw the movie, I had no idea he was going to end up being Khan. I heard rumors that he was John Harrison straight up, and then I heard rumors that he was Gary Seven, which is another character from the old series. And um, I can't remember what his arc was, but through the entire time, I'm like, I'm not sure if this is Khan. So, but after you fall, you're still wondering, is this Khan? I thought that was the present mind. Is it going to be Khan? But then as little elements started be dropping, like when they discovered that, um, that there are people inside those two, inside the torpedoes, and like, okay, I think this guy, he's actually, and then they're saying, okay, then they're examining the, uh, the, the people inside the tubes, and these people are 300 years old. It's like, He's Khan. And then when he finally says, I'm Khan, I'm like, cool. Yeah, everybody in my theater lost their shit as soon as that, that happened. But uh, I hear a lot of people complain, oh, there's a little remake of The Wrath of Khan. I'm like, no, there are elements of The Wrath of Khan, and, uh, which is still the best movie in the franchise. But there is are, that, is that part two? Yeah, that's the second one. Yeah, that's what I and, thought. Uh, and and you know, if you saw Wrath of Khan, you're, you'll see plenty of... If you see Wrath of Khan before you see Into Darkness again... You'll see a lot of elements in from Wrath of Khan yeah, kind of like, being, being played with in this one. And now in the in the original second one, Spock dies, right? 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And the second one, Spock dies, and that's considered like the seminal emotional moment in the franchise because at, at the time, he was um, in, in Into Darkness, the roles are unexpectedly, the roles are reversed. Right, yeah. And it's just as, even though you know this is the alternate universe, and obviously you know Kirk's going to get out of it, but you don't know how yet. And it's unexpected and actually quite touching the way it's played out. It's almost on the same level of emotional level. I distinctly remember hearing sniffles <laughs> from the audience. I'm like, ah, they're not going to kill Kirk. Don't worry about it. But as a personal note, um, I don't know if you're about to do it in Star Trek Generations. Kirk is killed off in the most pussiest way you can imagine. It's like, that's really? Kirk dies that way? That's, mm. that, that's lame. <laughs> He's like, are you expecting him to go on a blaze of glory? And suddenly he goes out with a little whimper. And it's like, that was dumb. But here, it kind of like gives you... Kirk dies, or almost dies, but in a way that is like Kirk saving his ship, saving his crew. Mm -hmm. like, like that was cool. It was like you, it was like you made that sacrifice. But of course, he lives to see another day. So it was just yeah. cool that they actually did that. And it's almost like Abrams was apologizing. Yeah, I know those guys screwed up Kirk's death, but this is how it should have been. Well, I just think that it was uh, really interesting and a fairly bold move to oh, yeah. to kill off. Uh, Kirk in that fashion instead of Spock when everybody kind of mm -hmm. expected Spock to die at that at that point. I mean, after after Khan, even though, again, I'll say that I don't know a lot about the mythology, but I did know that Spock died in the second one. And as soon as I saw that that Khan was the the central villain, I was like, oh, I bet you know Spock's gonna die because. Yeah. But then when they when they made it Kirk, I was like, Oh, that's, that's so crazy. And then, mm -hmm. and then like having, of course, Spock be yelling con, you yeah. know, like, I thought that was another great moment. I know it could go over funny for some people. It's like other people might cringe at it, but I'm like, okay, that was awesome. Yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought it was great how they did that. I thought it was, and then, it, uh, it was and, uh, funny enough was when that happened and then, you know, Kirk just died and then, as I'm watching, I was like, okay, now they're gonna are they gonna do this because now they gotta touch up on search for Spock, which is where Spock they bring him back. So now they're gonna do that in this one. So it's almost like they're remaking all kinds of movies in the franchise. Well, now uh, you you might be able to answer me this because this is this is something that I think a Star Trek fan would know. But wasn't the beginning of the show when they went on their five year voyage mm -hmm. and. But now, at the end of this movie, they're just going on the voyage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, really, we just now caught up to where the show started. Yep. And uh, basically, you just attributed that to the time shift. And uh, everything, everything's, things are happening, but not in the way they used to. So, it was like, it's interesting that events that happened during the series and after in the movies is suddenly now happening before the series even starts. And also, the... Uh, if you noticed in this one that it's more militaristic mm -hmm. and all in due to the events of the first one. And that was very different from, in the original series it was all about exploration and going out to boldly go. Right. But now it's like they're doing that, but now they still got the military side of it. So, well, so I'm, but I'm wondering if the third one is going to be more of like an exploratory thing where it's, it's more of an adventure film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, it what could I would, be a standalone, or it could be like setting something up. I mean, obviously they teased a Klingon war, which I'm sure is inevitable. Oh yeah, that's gonna happen. You know that that's gonna happen. Yeah, 
Yeah, so, or whoever, or if are they going to continue that? Hopefully they don't. I mean, I loved what they did, but I would like to see original standalone stories instead of like remaking past events. Right, like the that's alternate what, timeline yeah. stuff. But I think that that's what fans probably love to see <laughs> an alternate, you know, reality sort of of the events that took place in the movies yeah. and show. Yeah, I mean, at the end of this one, now you have a uh, Carol Marcus who when you start off, I mean, you already know who it is when it starts. It's like, it's Carol Wallace, and she reveals her name's Carol Marcus, and then you're like, oh, yeah. And if you know Star Trek II, uh, Carol Marcus was an ex-flame of Kirk's, and they had a son. So mm. so that may come into play in the next one or the future or something. Yeah, and, well, I feel like that they were... The, in the third one, uh, Kirk's son is killed, so, so that's like a pretty big arc there. So I'm wondering if they're going to be playing with that. Well, I feel like that there's a ton of material for them to work with and and skew, and that'll just get the fanboys salivating even more. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think of Benedict Cumberbatch's con? Um, I thought he was really, really good, really effective. Just his voice, his delivery of his lines. He was like, it was very imposing. I mean, um, Ricardo Montalban is Khan will always be Khan and his Khan was very imposing because he was very enigmatic very royal looking you can see it's like a, he says he's a prince as I like can see him as a prince it's mm-hmm. like he was just had this aura about him but Cumberbatch's take on Khan was more of a very calculating smart uh, manipulative um, Superman <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I thought that uh all the scenes, like the action scenes, the fight scenes with him were pretty awesome. And I'm a big fan of him in general. I love mm-hmm. Sherlock, and I was uh, a big fan of his role in um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Mm-hmm. So to have him as be being the villain, I think that he plays the perfect villain. I mean, if for no other reason, that voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just his, his delivery of the lines. It's like, it's almost like he's getting into your head just by saying something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other spoilers? Um, a lot of uh, character moments. We mentioned the Nimoy uh, part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved how it didn't show what Spock told his, uh, his uh, uh, the other Spock, where he was like saying, it's like, how, did, how did you defeat him? It's like at great cost. But right. I, had, I think that during that time that they cut away spock explained that he actually died to save the ship right because when if in the moment if you see Con, wrath of Khan, you'll you'll recognize the scene but in, in uh, into darkness when scotty calls up is like uh the original line is like uh it's like jim i think it was jim you better get down here quick hurry and then uh but now it's like mr spock you better get down here hurry and he doesn't hesitate and he bolts because he doesn't even like think it's like oh where's where's uh because in the movie he's like where's spock Mm-hmm. And he realized he he turns around and looks at the science officer stage he's not there, and right away he knows something's wrong. But here, Spock hears, get down here right away. He knows what right. happened. Yeah, so exactly. He was, like, he was down there right away. So I'm like, yeah. So we actually shared him with that. So, but um, and all the character stuff, like uh, the little character moments, like with Chekhov uh, being told to become an engineer and put on the red shirt, and that hesitation, not from becoming an engineer. But from the fact that he's got to put on a red shirt and everybody knows the history of the red shirt, which is if you have a red shirt, you die unless you're Scotty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, 
so that was pretty funny and there was a bunch of other little stuff that um, I really appreciated and uh, uh, the death of Pike was pretty uh, big Pike Pike was big and that's that definitely skews from the uh, original series where he was just left on another planet to live um, in the original series he was handicapped and brutally burned in a radioactive fire or something and so they left him on another planet where he can actually believe he is his original self and that's where, they, where that's where his story ended but in the last one, it kind of alluded to he was in the wheelchair, which was from the original series, and then now I guess they killed him off, which is completely different. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. uh, the Peter Weller part that I thought was pretty interesting because he he's a villain and not a villain. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you think he's the villain, you think Khan's not the villain, but then you're listening to, uh, and then you think Peter Weller is the villain, but that you think what Peter Weller's actions are, he's just misguided on what he needs to do so no he really isn't the villain but then he wants to kill everybody so like yeah like, and plus he, mm. then he gets his skull crushed yep and that, that was a that was a pretty crazy scene i, I yeah, was surprised he breaks, uh, he breaks mark tower marcus's kneecap i guess yeah <laughs> like ouch yeah that was that was pretty crazy um I can't think of any other like big spoiler moments. Uh, I guess there was there was some more. They got into the the love story between Uhura and Spock a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something that was in the original ones? Oh, oh, yeah, that was totally uh, yeah, from that's this, what I thought. this universe. That never happened. So, that's what um, I thought. The kind of interaction between crew members was a kiss between Kirk and Uhura in the original series, but that time they were being forced to. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, this is a totally recreation recre- uh, on their part, which I find pretty entertaining. What they're doing with it. So. Yeah, I think that it adds uh, an interesting dynamic to it. Yeah, with I, the, I like the the argument that they were having when they were on their way down to the planet. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like don't bring me into this. <laughs> yeah, I thought that that I thought that that was funny, and they did uh, they did inject some comedy in in this one, not as much mm-hmm. as the first one. Mm-hmm. But again, this one has a much darker tone, so yeah. it probably yeah, would have felt out of place to to put in as much comedy as they did with uh, with the first one. Mm-hmm. It, it, again, it's got a comedy from the uh, the lines of like uh, McCoy's uh, right. metaphors and and Spock's uh, non reactions to events and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, Chekhov and Sky's antics. Another throw uh, nod to the original series and movies was with Sulu getting the captain's chair, and mm-hmm. um, in the history of it, Sulu does end up becoming a captain, getting his own chair. And mm-hmm. um, I liked how they were like alluding to that, and it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, kind of feels good sitting in that seat. <laughs> so basically, if you're a Star Trek fan, this is like seventh heaven. You, you would think they're still the purists out there have friends who actually despise the movie because um, they just hate the fact that it kind of... I, I think it's too broad to say this is a remake of Wrath of Khan. There's just too much going on there to say this is a flat-out remake. It's, there's enough difference to say this is a whole different arc. And um, I mean, not to say it's as good as a Wrath of Khan, but it's definitely up there in the franchise. Yeah, but you would think because... Because of what they did in the first one, that mm-hmm. basically gives them a pass to yeah. do whatever they want. Because you would think that if time travel were real and mm-hmm. something happened to change 
the timeline as we know it, that it's it stands to reason that things would be somewhat the same. Yeah, and I mean, yet, just look at uh, like Back to the Future Part Two or something like that. Yeah, like it, it's it's different, but there are certain things that remain the same. Yeah, I think I read somewhere. I can't remember who wrote it. Might have been Harry Knowles mentioned in his review how there are just no matter what you do in the timeline, there are moments that are going to happen regardless. Right, exactly. Which would be one of those moments was Khan must meet Kirk. So, because they're like the quintessential uh, hero and villain. And I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So, even though events didn't transpire as they originally happened the first time, they still met and kind of came to the same conclusion. But um, usually my argument when I'm having with friends, when they're saying, it's like, oh, I can't believe this. All I say is mirror, mirror, which was an alternate universe episode where there's the good crew of the Enterprise and the evil crew of the Enterprise and Kirk and I can't remember who else gets stuck on the evil side of things and they have to, uh, oh, the evil Kirk gets sent to the good Enterprise and the good Kirk gets sent to the good evil Enterprise and they have to play in those universes as their counterparts to find their way home. Mm. So when it's like, it's like, well, see, it in the mirror, mirror, so why, what's wrong with them doing it here? Hmm. It's like, well, that was like, that was the same exact concept. Hmm. It's like, you lose. So, yeah, I just, uh, I don't, I'm very curious to see how this one does to see if it's accept, readily accepted or, or not. Well, it's interesting because it's, it's not only are they trying to appeal to the mass audiences, but they're mm-hmm. also, I think they're also genuinely trying to appeal to the fans as well. Yeah, and, it still it still works as like a more general audience kind of movie instead of strictly Star Trek uh, fans because you aren't versed in Star Trek yet you still enjoy the movie even though you didn't know all the references from two right events. exactly and you still got it so I think that it's a it's it's a tightrope walk really and the new Star Wars is going to be the same the same thing where yeah you have these rabid fans mm-hmm. that need that have this vision in their head of the way it should be and if it's anything deviated from that they're gonna just you know lash out against it which is almost like an envious almost feel sorry for whoever gets the uh the director's chair for the next one yeah (laughs) they're gonna be inheriting that universe and abrams will be producing but it's gonna be your vision and is your vision gonna match what he created and and if it's not then everybody's gonna be up in arms and you'll have your final frontier of the new franchise or something yeah yeah so which is what everyone considers the worst of the original series (laughs) Well, let's let's get out of this. Uh, let's get out of the spoiler section. So we're back. Final thoughts on Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, I really enjoyed it and enjoyed it even more upon second viewing. Uh, I'm probably going to go up out and see it again, probably in IMAX 3D again because I saw it in 2D and it wasn't as impactful. But it's a lot of fun. And I know my original review I gave an eight, but I'll probably bump that to like an eight and a half or something like that. Yeah. It was just a lot of, like, probably the most fun summer tentpole movie would probably be outside. I mean, I enjoyed Iron Man 3, but I actually had more fun with this one. Yeah, well, I yeah, I agree. I had more fun with this one as well. And this is uh, currently has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So critics seem to be fairly unanimous in their love for this movie. And I probably would sit somewhere around an 8.5 as well. So mm-hmm. there you have it. Star Trek Into Darkness. Go see it if you haven't already. 
And if you're not a fan, still enjoy it. If you are a fan, uh, yeah, it's like one of those. There, as Spock once said, there are always possibilities. There you go. I'll leave it at that. I think that it's one of those things where if you're a fan, there's small things in it that you can be like, oh man, that's what they're you know they're they're honoring this or they're paying homage to that. Mm-hmm. But if you're not a fan and you don't pick up on these small nuanced things, it's not going to matter. Like. They inject these little things that are purely f- for the fans that they can latch on to. And it, it, that just kind of makes that just enriches the whole experience for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that's something that a lot of these types of movies should do. Right. Right. But All right. Well, Ernie, thank you so much. Hey, you're quite welcome. Let's talk about predictions last week. We uh, we only predicted Star Trek last week, and uh, you said eighty two. I said seventy eight. Actual on that was eighty seven. So people were people were digging the Star Trek into darkness. Yeah, hearing a lot of good things about this. Uh, it's pretty excellent. So I I have a feeling that I'm so far behind on what Star Trek is is that I shouldn't well, even start. Well, here here's the thing. Um, there's probably going to be certain things that you don't pick up on that are in the movie that are callbacks to the show and the previous movies. Mm-hmm. But most of the stuff is like big stuff that you, you'll you know even if you haven't seen the show. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's certain things uh, and I'm not going to give anything away. But there's, um, yeah, there's, but there's, 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 there's certain things where as soon as you see it in the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, OK, I know what that I know what that is. Yeah, but um, I I really really recommend both the new movies. I think that they're they're great. Sure. Um, we didn't we didn't uh, predict anything else, but I just wanted to give out a couple other scores from Rotten Tomatoes. Francis Ha opened in in select cities last week or th- this Friday, and um, that got a ninety one percent. I don't know. I don't know about this. I want to see it. I, well, see, you're not a you're not a Noah Baumbach fan, and this is the problem. Noah Baumbach always does this to me, where he'll come out with the movie, and I'm thinking, "Oh, this looks good," and then it always lets me down. You see, except, I like except for Greenberg. Greenberg was the only film that I actually truly enjoyed. I like I like pretty much all his. I don't think I've seen his first two. Have you I've, seen Kicking and Screaming? No, I haven't seen that. Well, that's what you'll do while you're watching the fucking thing. No, I haven't seen that. it's awful. And I think there's another one in there. I think you made like two that I haven't seen. Squid and the Whale? No, I've seen shit. that. I like that. Um, anyway, people are <laughs> people are seeming to like Francis Ha. Uh, also, Pieta got a 77 and Black Rock got a 42. 42 for Black Rock. Yeah, I was not into Black Rock, unfortunately. Mm, which is... Is, is Duplass power waning a little bit? You think? Um, I don't know. I mean, hey. the one thing—the one thing that I liked about Black Rock was the opening and closing titles. They were really cool. <laughs> but that's pretty—I mean, <laughs> that's, the, not, that's not a good sign. I mean, the performances and dialogue were fine. It kind of had like an indie vibe to it, despite it being a traditional horror movie. But uh, it was. Like like I said before, extremely predictable. And if you see the trailer, 
that's the whole movie. There's no big twist. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that that was really what disappointed me. If I didn't see the trailer, I might have liked it more. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. Now, that's was he was he in Black Rock or did he just write it? No, he it? just uh, he just wrote. I think he like co-wrote it with his wife. Yeah, and she she directed it and stars in it mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah. It also stars Kate Bosworth and I um, uh, can't remember the other girl's name. Mm. But I mean, performance-wise, it was fine for the, for the most part. But it's, it's a tough one to recommend. Um, next week, we have a couple big ones. Oh, finally? Do we actually have movies coming out? Uh, we have The Hangover Part 3. Ah, so okay. I, I think that... Uh, finally a comedy. Finally get to see a comedy. Thank God. I'm pretty... Well, I don't know. I was going to say I'm excited for Hangover Part 3, but I'm not. I am. Like, I, 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 I mean, you know me. As long as it makes me laugh, that's all I want. That's all I yeah. care. I give two shits what the story is. What are you thinking about Hangover Part 3? Mm. I'm going to say like a, like a 60. Yeah, this is one that... The score's pretty much just a wild because you, you, you never that, know. You know there's going to be people that are automatically going to hate it because it's the third one. Mm-hmm. The storyline's probably going to be somewhat familiar. And they're just going to be upset that it exists. I'm, I'm going to hope it's good and say 63. And we have Fast and Furious 6. <clears throat> yes. Uh, let's... I don't know. Do a double feature? I'm going to guess... Uh, See with these this with this series it's hard too because a couple of them were complete shit and then a couple of them <clears throat> got actually pretty pretty decent reviews. Yeah, I think I've actually heard a couple uh, a lot of good things about Fast and Furious Six. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the Fast and Furious movies more on Wednesday with Ryan watches a movie. Oh yeah, but uh, I'm gonna say like fifty. Fifty. I'm gonna say like a sixty. Six. I mean, I, I I hope you're right on that, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm so, not a, I'm not a big fan of the Fast and Furious movies, but I do plan. I'm thinking about maybe seeing this one, and this will be the first one that I've seen in the theater since the first one. So yeah, I mean, I I don't like these movies at all, and I would more than likely never watch any of these. But I would imagine that they probably have some great action sequences in there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then finally we have Epic. This is that new animated one. With the the great creative title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not even fucking trying anymore. <laughs> Brave. Epic. Oh I, I don't... Planes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, God. Epic. Um, I'm going to say like a 70... 76... Again, I don't know how this one's going to go. It's not Pixar, so that's not like a guaranteed high score. Yeah, that, that's almost like negative 10 taken off yeah. right off the bat. <laughs> Instantly 10% taken off because it's not Pixar. I think I'm going to say, uh, I'll say uh, 67. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has a lot of stars in it, but I don't know. I'm not interested in that one. Also, I want to mention that I saw a new trailer for Despicable Me 2 when I when I uh-huh. saw Star Trek. 
Oh my god, it looks so awful. Like, Is it I, just I more pity. of those minion things? Yeah. What are their names? Do they even have names? No, I think they're just called the minions. But oh my god. I, I really see. pity any parent that has to take their kid to go see that movie. Because it just looks so awful. <laughs> I hope that there's a scene in postpartum. Yeah. <laughs> 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 His parents oh having to watch it. those minions. I love it. Uh, in select cities, we have Before Midnight, the new Richard Linkletter uh, movie that I'm sure that you're excited for. <laughs> and we also have We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks, which is a documentary that I'm pretty interested in seeing. And then we have DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, May 21st, 2013. Oh pretty pretty big list this week. We have The ABCs of Death, which I don't recommend. I have a review for that up on the site, and I actually reviewed each segment, so you could take take a look at that. It's pretty lengthy. Beautiful creatures, which I have no interest in Mm-mm. at all. Yeah. Like I don't. That's yeah. another one that's based on the young adult novel mm-hmm. series. Don't want it. The Last Stand, which is that Arnold movie, oh, which I was a little. I was a little unimpressed with it, but there were there were a couple things in it that make it worth a watch. So I would give that a light recommend. You know, check that out when it like rent it maybe. Yeah, so if you're in the mood for an action film. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you're a fan of like '80s, '90s action, might be worth a watch. A uh, little indie horror film called Love Sick Love that I have a mild interest in seeing. Yeah, I think we. We did. We wrote a short article on it on the site. Uh, My neighbor Totoro Blu-ray release. Totoro. Wanted to mention that I pre-ordered it. Totoro. And I'm very excited to get that. Yeah, call off work and watch that movie. I just might. I give. I give you. Give me permission. I yeah. Full go ahead to anyone out there. Call off. I'll write you a note for work. Yeah, stating this is... that you're watching My Neighbor Totoro. This is a DVD Blu-ray combo pack thing. So I'm hoping that... I mean, the reason that I bought it is because I, I want to see it in that, you know, crisp, high hmm. def. It's going to look amazing. This yeah. is the greatest animated film about absolutely nothing <laughs> that makes you so unbelievably happy. Like, yeah. anytime I think about Totoro, I just smile. I have Totoro as my desktop wallpaper. Uh, we have Parker... That's that Jason Statham vehicle. Every time I think of Parker, I'm not happy. Complete opposite <laughs> the exact of Totoro. <laughs> I, I didn't see it, but I heard pretty negative things about it. Uh, <laughs> You're Steve... thinking that you might rent this film? Work uh, a 24-hour shift to make sure that you're unable to. Yeah. <laughs> and we have Steven Soderbergh's Side Effects, which I highly recommend checking that out. Yes, that was a pleasant surprise. Still, it's uh, still one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Same here. And we're, you know, halfway through the fifth month. Yeah. Uh, Struck by Lightning, which is that uh, teen comedy by the kid that is in Glee. (laughs) That's all you need to know. (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, before that came out, it was getting a lot of buzz. But then once it came out, a lot of negative reviews. (laughs) People actually saw it. Uh, stand up guys that's that al pacino 
Christopher Walken. Uh, the third one's the guy I like. I know. <laughs> Why? Well, I do it. Alan Arkin. Alan, Alan Arkin. Arkin. Thank Alan you. Arkin I was just, playing Alan Arkin. Yeah, just completely drawing a blank there. But I heard bad things about that one, too. Well, it's Fisher Stevens disappoints. Yeah. Fisher. Uh, and that's all, that's all I got. That's all you got? I don't, I, there's only one criterion which uh, I have to say I'm extremely interested in, mostly because I've never heard of the director or this film, which is Medium Cool by Haskell Wexler. Oh, yeah, I heard which, of this movie. Um, 1969. Now, I mean, I have heard of the director in his capacity as a cinematographer, which he won a ton of great films. Like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I mean, just a ton of great films. But I didn't know that he was a director. And apparently this movie is just, like, groundbreaking in, in the sense of form and the way that he does it and he shoots it and everything. So this is one of those films that I've been out of print forever, almost, until now. So I'm pretty excited by this. It sounds great. It's medium cool criterion. Handling shit constantly. Any others? No, that's it. It's just okay. the one. Because that's all, right. all they need. That's all they need? All right. I think that that wraps it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedbackfilmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Then we'll be speaking with Bill and Kevin of the Blue Ass Group. Blue Ass. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you a side note after we do this. Then we'll be.